Albert Einstein said, it has become appallingly obvious that our technology has exceeded our humanity. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 165, and I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. Friends, you know that my goal with every podcast is to help you be the parent you want to be. Not the parent I think you should be, but to be the parent you want to be. And that's why I interview experts in all different fields and areas from all around the world. I try to find the best people to give you the best advice. We're going to be talking about screen time today, and I know that this is a concern of every single parent out there. I've never met a parent who says, oh yeah, my kid spends just the amount of time on their screen. I don't worry about it. And I would say for every 50 parents that I talk with, less than 5% actually feel they can do something about it. Well, today you're going to learn exactly what you can do to get control of screen time in your home. I think you're gonna find this very encouraging. Many of you know that a number of years ago, I wrote the book, Strong Father, Strong Daughters, because I was absolutely sick of the lambasting and the bashing of fathers in our culture. Because as a pediatrician, this really bothered me because the kids that I saw in my practice who had less anxiety, less depression, who did better in school, and who recovered from very serious problems faster were the kids who had engaged fathers. This was particularly true when it came to girls. My own dad had a profound impact on my life and to where I land and to the work that I do now. And I saw my own husband instill tremendous strength and confidence in our three daughters. So I decided to write the truth about dads and show them what their daughters think about them. It's in my book, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. Well, the book flew off the shelves. And I think the reason this happened was because I wrote positive things about fathers. And I showed them that we need them, that their daughters in particular desperately want their dads. And when dads saw that, it was transformational in their lives. I received a lot of feedback from dads saying that their eyes were open to a whole new way of thinking. They understood the importance of who they were to their daughters, but they didn't know what to do. So I wrote something else for those dads, the Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters Masterclass. This shows dads step-by-step how to relate to their daughters, how to talk to them, how they should expect to be treated by other men. So the book shows them who they are to their daughters. The Strong Father, Strong Daughter Masterclass shows them specifically what they can do to build a stronger relationship with their daughters. So if you know a dad who needs encouragement and he needs some specific ways to connect with his daughter, no matter how old she is, Check out my new Strong Father, Strong Daughters Masterclass that releases in June. Pre-sales are open now if you want to get the class cheaper. 
My guest is Melanie Hempe, and we're going to be talking about screen time and your kids. Melanie has a Bachelor of Science in Nursing from Emory University. She spent over six years working with leading researchers and technology experts on the impact of video games, social media, and smartphone use on children and families. She's passionate about educating families to understand the dangers of screen addiction. Her goal is to reconnect families through meaningful interactions and reestablish a balanced use of technology in the home. Here's the best part about Screen Strong. It works. It is encouraging and it actually works. And to tell you the truth, friends, it's my favorite program for getting screen time under control in your home. Well, Melanie, thank you so much for taking the time to come on my podcast. What we're going to talk about today is so important. Yeah, I am so excited to be here because, you know, I love to share my stories. Mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. Well, you have great stories. You have great work that you're doing. So let's just jump right in. You advocate very much for parents to get their kids off of screens. How did you get into doing this work? Great question. I was thrown in the frying pan, just like every parent out there. I have four children and my first child is a boy and um, I don't want to call him our experiment, but you know, it's kind of how it is sometime with your first. And so well, when the first is always the experiment. Yeah. Okay. Well then good. We'll just call him the experiment. So we were um, bringing him up through middle school and high school and video games were really, really popular. And it just started with that Game Boy, and then it went into all the other games that he was playing on his laptop when he went to high school. And we really struggled with this in our home. We struggled with all these conflicts. And I kept thinking, is this normal, you know, um, to have all these conflicts around limits and how much time he was spending you know, in the basement playing his video games. And I was really confused because he had straight A's and all my friends said, well, he's probably fine. And at least you know where he is and he's not getting into trouble. And, you know, I thought, okay. And, right. you know, um, I mean, one of the things that really hit me that I remember so clearly is as sort of a new mom, I, I just felt like that um, the game companies, the they committee, you know, they would never design yeah. something that would hurt my kids. And I don't know why we have this trust, but as a young mom, you do, you just think, well, all your friends, kids are playing this. It must be okay. So Adam ended up going into college. He had, I mean, he had a lot of um, success in high school as far as his grades. He just dropped out of a lot of things in life. And let me back up and say that this was during the time when overscheduling your child was the topic of every magazine article, right? Because this was way yeah. back. Um, I think it's still, it still kind of is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It still is. And so I thought, oh, he wants to drop out of baseball. Well, that's okay. And he wants to stop playing his piano. I guess that's okay. Cause I don't want to overschedule him. And then he wanted to drop out of tennis in high school. So we ended up with a child who really didn't have any other activities, but his video game. And I thought I was doing the right thing. And so then when he went to college, guess what? He kept playing video games. And I, at this point, I had no idea that there was even a thing called, you know, gaming addiction or internet addiction. And so I picked him up from that first year 
and we're driving home. And it was really odd, actually, when I picked him up and I went to his dorm room, it was very strange. All the things that we had brought at Christmas were literally sitting in the exact same spot. And he didn't even have any friends to Mm. say goodbye to. So that was like a huge red flag. I'm like, where are your friends? And he got in the car and he said, mom, I haven't been out of bed for a week. I have not finished my classes. I didn't even eat. I'm I'm looking at him and he said, I'm so depressed and I'm looking at him. And honestly, it looked like he um, was on drugs, right? So I have a nursing background and I thought, oh my goodness, is this happening right under my nose? And he said, no, mom, it's not that I, it's not drugs. (laughs) He said, it's um, World of Warcraft. (laughs) He said, said that game, he said, it did something to me. And I never will forget Mm. that was my defining moment. I'm driving on the highway and I'm like, all of a sudden, everything that we had struggled with all through those high school years, it got really bad with the struggle because we couldn't get him to engage in our family. And just when did he start disengaging? Was it a middle school, high school? He started disengaging in middle school. It Everything gets harder in middle school, as you know. And his game was getting easier for him. So he was going after that low effort, high reward activity through middle school, through those years, which I know now are the years that we really have to help our kids um, keep them on the right track because they're going to want to default to these easier things. And that's when he started quitting all his sports and all his activities. And then as he went into high school, I lost the battle because they gave him a laptop at school. And once he got that school laptop, I had no more control over his time. And I used to call myself the game cop mom, which I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that feel like that's what they are in their house. They're the cop and it's not a very fun job. And I was constantly setting that kitchen timer. And so through high school, when developmental things are supposed to be happening, like you know, having friends and dating and getting jobs and driving and none of these things were happening. He was just sitting in my basement playing video games. And uh, it was such a struggle for, for us to the point where my husband would be driving home and he'd call me and he would say, he better not be on that game when I get home. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? He's taller than me. (laughs) He's bigger than me. And how many hours a day do you think he was playing video games? Well, he was playing when he came home from school, probably three or four hours. And then once he went to, once we went to bed, uh, we don't even know. I think he would stay up till two and three in the morning. And that's what happens with adolescents. Parents are starting to go to bed before their kids. So I didn't even know, but Mm -hmm. turned out later um, that he told me that he would stay up till two and three o'clock in the morning, um, which I find now from talking with families, that's very, very common you know, there's a lot of things that happen in the middle of the night that we don't understand, <laughs> that we weren't aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, but he went to college and he didn't finish. He came home and the the worst thing was he was living back on our sofa and we love him dearly, but you know that the natural progression is to launch and to be healthy and to start your life. And for him to have just turned around and, and he came home and he was really okay with that. And I wasn't okay. My husband and I, we were not okay with him coming home and just living on our sofa playing his video games. How was his depression? You said when you brought him home from college and he's sitting on the couch and playing, what did you notice about in his depression? 
the way it manifested was he would get up mid morning. He would um, sit on the sofa. He wouldn't do anything. He would wear a hoodie because he was cold all the time because he wasn't getting any exercise. He wasn't moving his muscle and he was just um, very visually depressed. And he would say to me when I would get up and come in and he would say, mom, I don't understand how, how do you just get up every morning and get dressed and you're so happy? I don't get it. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I, and I just started putting all these mm -hmm. pieces together that he had not developed so many life skills. And because he hadn't done that during those very critical adolescent years, we were now seeing the result of what happens when a child's mm -hmm. developmental stages are stunted. And of course he couldn't mm -hmm. function in college. He, he didn't have the motivation to even be in the real world. And the way that he describes it is like this. He describes it like my life shifted from the real world to the virtual world. And there was nothing in the real world that was as exciting or, you know, more exciting than what was happening in my virtual world. And the real world was just a nuisance. Mm. And he would just every day barely get up and sit on my sofa. And I realized I had to do something. And we talked to him mm -hmm. all the time, but it was so sad. It, it was very sad. And he was mm -hmm. very depressed. So let's talk about the progression, because I think, you know, there might be some parents listening who go, well, my, my son's in fifth or sixth grade, and he plays a couple hours a day. I mean, come on, what's the big deal? Um, and then your son went into high school and was playing a little bit more and a little bit more. And I think that's the way the games are created is to hook kids. And I think just like you did, well, you know, it's a little bit, you know, it's it's not that bad. It's not that bad. And then you said your son shifted into this virtual world. You and I know that a virtual world doesn't satisfy. It leads you into a dark place and that the real world is the one with all of the rewards. So this is a place that you're finding him. Do you think he made that shift even in high school or do you think that really happened in college? It started in, in high school and this, you're right. It doesn't happen overnight. It's very slow. It's like, you know, the boy, the frog boiling in the water, all of a sudden you, you're in trouble and you don't realize. And so what I didn't realize was the warning signs. The warning signs include things like um, they melt down when they're forced to unplug. You know, um, we had younger children. If the younger children would go in the room near the computer, he would just like hit them almost, you know, swat them out of the way, you know, and then he would just have a meltdown if he had to get off his game. And then in, the use is increasing over time. And parents don't see this because they don't track how many hours your child is really, you know, because, because virtual time is very different. You know, we can be on our phones for an hour and we right. think we've been on our phones for 10 minutes, you know, and that's how it is in a video game. It's the only thing that would put him in a good mood. That's the other thing that I didn't realize was such a red flag. And I would try to use it for rewards, which was the worst thing that you can do is to use something that is, doesn't line up with your values as a family, use that for a reward. It's a very bad thing. They start sneaking and lying about how much time they're, um, they're playing, um, using a screen, uh, using the game to escape. So if he had a bad day, he'd immediately just want to get on his game instead of not allowing him to do that and, and, and sort of forcing him to work through whatever it was that, you know, but I, I think the worst thing that 
that is the warning sign that I, I missed the most is this detachment from our family. And it happens really small. Like he wouldn't want to come upstairs to go to his sister's little birthday that we're celebrating at the dinner table. Like there were little things that started happening that he would just slowly start detaching. And I believe that that is the, the number one underlining problem with, with video games and with social media and smartphones for kids. It's that slow detachment. And in my, um, to my own fault, I didn't understand the exact development of that frontal cortex in their brain and that they're not mature. They're very intelligent, but they're not mature. And that Mm -hmm. he was so intelligent that I thought he was mature and I thought he was an adult. I thought I was done when he was 16. And I thought, well, he's a grown, he's taller than me. He has a mustache, you know? Yeah, when they're taller and they're, um, yeah, and they're bigger. And I think one of the mistakes I think parents can make is that when they see that detachment starting to come, they say, well, this is normal teenage years. You know, teens don't want to be with their parents. And so they think, well, you know, he's spending two or three hours alone in his room in the afternoon. That's what normal teenage years do. And that's not true. You know, kids should not disengage. And then when you ask them to come down for dinner, they shouldn't scream or make an excuse. Talk to us about the content of the video games. What kind of video games was he watching? And did you see the content Um, make any difference? Very interesting question. I was, I would say I would have gotten a C if you were grading me on that. Um, I didn't really pay 100% attention, but just enough to sort of know what he was doing. And it was all army games and fighting, lots and lots and lots of violence. Again, it didn't even occur to me that this was a bad thing. I thought, well, he's a boy and this is what boys do. And they like to shoot people. And, you know, I I didn't like them. I never played video games, but I didn't understand at that point how severe the violence was and how it was really affecting him and his empathy and um, this constant state of aggression. And I didn't understand that fight flight mode was just stimulated all the time. But the violent video games, you know, they don't want to play the silly video games. They want to play the games that are rated no. for mature only. And I, I will have to It's kind of like pornography. Once you go down that road, um, it isn't pornography, but it's like it in that in order to get the same level ex- of excitement, you have to go more and more and more violent. Um, Because I want to ask about other things, too. How is he doing today? And how did you approach the problem and the issues when you finally looked at him? He's on the couch. He's not enjoying life. What did you do then? So I did. um, I when I speak now, I kind of joke around and I say, I did what every good mother does. And I called the military. (laughs) Um, And for young audiences, (laughs) when they hear this story. When they hear this story, they're like, how could you do that? I'm like, you don't understand that when your son and your children are supposed to be launching and they're not launching, it's the most unnatural thing. And so I called the U.S. Army and they they were so nice. And they came to my house and they sent an Army recruiter and I stepped out the front door and I shut the door behind me and I looked at this young man who was in the Army recruit, you know, coming in. I said, sir. My son loves Call of Duty and you really need to recruit him into the military. And so he came in and he um, sat down at the kitchen table with Adam and he did just that. He recruited Adam into the military. And um, I 
I think it was fascinating because what I know now, um, what happened, that was the best thing for him because what happened next was 14 weeks of a digital detox called basic training. And it was yeah. exactly what he needed to reset his brain. And it was free. And we didn't have to ship him off to a treatment center because there's a lot of treatment centers. I didn't even know about those. But that 14 weeks of that digital, complete digital detox, of course, Adam jokes and says, I didn't even have my own underwear. I had nothing. And he had to reset. Mm -hmm. And there was a regimented schedule. He had lots of exercise. He started to find his purpose. And that made all the difference. And it was very similar to what a treatment program is actually when you look at it. So he ended up staying in the military for five years. A lot of people will hear, um, oh, you know, you'll send your son off to the military. It's punishments. It's horrible. It's over controlling. You know, the opposite is true. One of the things our kids don't learn is self-regulation parents think, well, they're smart, they can turn things off. No, they can't. Um, they can't decide how long they're going to play and how long they're not. Um, they're not capable of that. But the ability to control their behavior and to set boundaries for themselves, it's almost impossible mm -hmm. for kids and they need to be taught that. And I think that that's exactly yeah. what the military um, can teach. I know you had some struggles with your daughter, too. Um, would you mind talking about her as well? Yeah, let's definitely um, dive into that a second. Um, I was just going to, if you don't mind, I just wanted to say something else about the, the military. Um, okay, the reason why that worked so well for Adam is because we didn't get that work done under our roof when he when he was in high school, he played video games instead. And that most kids today, you know, they don't have to go into the military, but that was how we ended up um, fixing the problem. We didn't even know that was gonna fix it. I just knew that that had to happen because he just didn't get this work done. Um, and, and video games and screens, they, can, they steal the opportunities for kids to really get that work done, this work that's supposed to be done in high school. So. So let's talk about Melissa. So when it came to my daughter, she's six years younger. So after we discovered all this with Adam, um, and let me back up and say about Adam, he is doing very well. Now uh, he did come back. He finished his commitment in the army and he finished college and he's doing very well. He does speak to families now about what happened to him. I will say he will forever struggle with some things um, because that's how his brain got wired when he was young. So with my daughter, she was in middle school when all this was happening. And I decided I wasn't going to do the same experiment on her. And when the smartphones came out, I decided, you know what, we're going to do something different. You're going to get a flip phone and you're not going to have a smartphone. In fact, until maybe you even go to college. And so she was a little bit shocked because all her friends had smartphones, but I had already been through some really hard things with the video games. So I mm -hmm. decided, okay, well, maybe I'll give her a phone, a smartphone when she's, you know, 16. And I went to lunch with some friends and they said, Melanie, whatever you do, that was the worst thing we, we ever did to our daughter is even give her a smartphone when she was 16. They said, if you could hold off, mm -hmm. boy, did I listen to those moms. And um, my daughter got a pair of boots that year for her 16th birthday. She did not get a smartphone. And so what I <laughs> proceeded to find out was, can this be done? Can a girl, can a teenage 
girl actually grow up and be okay through high school without a smartphone. And what we learned was that not only can they be okay, they're going to be much better off than all of their friends. They have so much more advantages than the kids who are stuck to their smartphones and social media through those teen years. She ended up spending a lot of time with her sport and got a full ride college scholarship because of it. I'm telling you, I think if she had had a smartphone, we would not have seen the progression in the other areas of her life. So we did this experiment. It worked really well. And it was not something that was a lot of people say, well, did she hate you? Wasn't it the most horrible thing? Didn't you argue all the time? And it was quite the opposite to my shock. <laughs> we had a great relationship and we spent so much more meaningful time together. And when she would come home from school, she would just naturally just tell me everything that happened during the day. Instead of texting it to all her friends on the way home, I would just kind of get the intel every day. We got really close over it and she was fine being different. I know it sounds a little crazy, but we presented it that way. And we had a wonderful high school experience with her. Well, I hope you're enjoying my interview with Melanie Hempy. We need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Welcome back. My guest today is Melanie Hempy. What prevents parents from saying no to cell phones and their kids? So one of the things that that is the, the hang up is their blind spots and their biases. We all have them. It's a really bad struggle for parents today because they have the culture at large that's telling them this stuff is all okay. In fact, you know, they even say on social media that you have to be 13, you know, in order to have a social media account. So most parents think that that means at 13, your child is mature when the reality around that is that age has nothing to do with the maturity. The age of 13 for social media is there because of privacy and collecting data from children from the COPA law. It has nothing to do with their maturity. Right. In fact, that law was put in seven years before Facebook was even invented. So a lot of parents have misinformation. I think their biggest struggle really comes, it's the peer pressure with other parents and wanting their kids to fit in. And quite frankly, the parents want to fit in too. So I had to take a very different step. And it, it was quite hard. But after going through what we went through with our son, it, it was, it, there was no option for me. That's a great point. And I never really thought about that because I think that parents feel a lot of pressure, but they don't want to be the parent who looks mean or geeky or is depriving their kid. They want to be the parent who's blending in with everybody else and understands that, you know, cell phones are really okay. It's really okay for girls. And they are not. And I will tell you, I've seen in my practice the clear uh, relationship between cell phone use, social media use, and depression in girls. It is mm -hmm. so clear. And yet a lot of parents, you know, look for other reasons that kids might be depressed. And so that's a very, very interesting point that parents feel they need to look like a good parent too. So you had a great experience with your daughter. She didn't fight you a lot. 
and she's older now, would she look back and say, thank you, mom? Or would she be <laughs> resentful because you didn't let her have a phone? That's a great question. No, it, it, she is not resentful at all. In fact, the most amazing thing happened because the big myth out there that parents are worried about, and I know all the myths because I hear them all day long. And, um, uh, from the parents I work with. Um, but what happened, you know, uh, well, let me just say the big myth is that parents think that if you don't give it to them now, they're going to binge and go crazy later. Well, that's not backed in science at all. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cause what your kids do as high school kids is what they do later. It's, it's not backed in science, but anyway, so she ended up getting a smartphone when she went to college and it took her about, I don't know, three minutes to learn how to use it because that's the other myth that they're not going to know how to use this technology. And let me tell you, that is a huge myth that any four-year-old can use social media. So this is not hard to do. So she was on a sports athletic team, like I said, full ride. It was just a fabulous D1 experience for her. And she started an Instagram account. Maybe she posted I don't know, 20 things in uh, four years. She came back home um, after her um, college experience and she's now out living independently on her own. And she has now gotten rid of that account. So she doesn't even have any social media now. And she just shakes her head because she works with a lot of kids that have problems in her job. And she's just like, mom, this is like the best thing ever that I didn't have to grow up with this. And what joy, because when I hear from yeah. my son, he says, mom, I had the worst childhood ever. And, you know, Melissa says, mom, this is the best thing that ever happened. So those are pretty powerful words. So making those changes, which I'm sure were hard for you, because it took a lot of self-reflection. It took a lot of admitting, gee whiz, yeah. I, I really messed up here. But to understand why you did it and to pivot. And then to see it going in the a completely opposite direction with your daughter is um, is fabulous. You have something called um, Screen Strong. And mm -hmm. can you quickly tell us what it's about? And I also want you to leave parents with four or five things that they can do to mm -hmm. not end up in the situation that you did where they have a child who not even addicted but who is experiencing the bad repercussions of video games because i'll i'll be honest i don't think there's anything good about video games yeah zero you know and um you know parents say well you know my son or fathers will say my son and i have this time of bonding and connection no you don't because you're not even looking at each other talking. Yeah. So I I don't like them, period. And my son didn't wasn't allowed to play them in high school at all. And it wasn't long into college when he turned around and said, thank you, Mom. When I came to college, it really sickened me. These kids' parents are paying $40,000, and they're sitting in a dark room all day yeah. playing a video game. And, and he did say thank you. So tell us about Screen Strong and then tell parents what they can do. Yeah. So, and I love your story of your son because I read that in your book and that was so encouraging to me. And I just want you to know that that, that gave me a lot of power, kind of got my power back. <laughs> it was like, oh, we're going to be the second child in the world <laughs> that doesn't do video games because I have two other boys too. <laughs> yeah, video games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but the phone, because I have two other boys too, and I'll talk about that in a second. But, um, but I think that well, okay, so what's Screen Strong? So I started Screen Strong as a nonprofit organization to educate parents. I want parents to know everything I didn't know and all these things that 
that I should have known that would have changed our life so much. And I just didn't know, you know how sometimes you just don't know the questions. You don't even know what you don't know. And so Screen Strong is designed to educate mm -hmm. parents. I, I, I use my nursing background. I take all the science and I break it down in really easy to understand format for parents to read and understand because they have to be educated around this. Years ago, our parents didn't have to be. They just threw us outside. We couldn't come home till the streetlights mm -hmm. came on and we did all our stuff and our developmental stuff was taken care of by playing on the playground and playing with the kids around the block. But that doesn't happen today. So parents have to be a lot more educated around what screens are doing to their kids. And then we provide a community for parents to become a part of so you don't feel so alone. Parents, the number one question or the number one thing I get from parents is they feel so isolated. They feel so alone. They feel like I'm the only one that's not allowing this phone right now. And so we want to just start this movement and say, no, we've got a whole big thing, big community over here. You can be part of this community. You're not crazy. You're not a crazy parent. You have in your gut everything that you need to have your common sense to raise your kids the way you know, you know that video games are too violent today. They're not playing Pac-Man anymore. It's very different. And you know that there's nothing, mm -mm. nothing that kids really need on social media. Social media was never designed for kids. Mm -hmm. It was never designed for teenagers. There's so many more things that they need to do. So that's why we put the organization together. We have a course. We have a very good um Facebook group to answer questions 24 hours a day. We have parents in there helping. We help parents. We have a 30-day detox that they can do, and we help them. We walk with them side by side. Um, you know, what are the steps? How do you do this? How do you remove it? The best thing I tell parents is just come to us when you've got little children before you hit middle school. We can help you unwind it, okay, mm -hmm. but it's so much better to prevent it. And I really believe that the 48 mm -hmm. months of high school, okay, it's only 48 months for your child not to be mm -hmm. burdened with a smartphone Velcroed to their body. The, you know, that's what's happening. Um, there are mm -hmm. so many more advantages. And um, you could look at every measurable thing that we can measure in an adolescent's life. And kids who are not burdened with smartphones and social media score higher in every single area, everything, everything from their academics mm -hmm. to, you know, their family attachment to their interest in their hobbies and their exercise and their eating habits and their sleeping habit, everything that you can possibly measure, they do better. So why not? Mm -hmm. Why not just mm -hmm. give them that gift of 48 months? And that's what our organization is there to do to help and encourage parents to do that. You know, it's interesting because in my experience, 99% of parents don't want their kids on video games and they don't want them on social media and phones, but they feel insecure in making that step and saying, uh-uh, not for you. And I always wondered, you know, if you could get two or three or four mothers, fathers in your kids' class to say, we're going to be the parents who aren't going to let our kids have cell phones and sort of empower each other. That's really what you're talking about that you do, but it's more on a micro level. Have you ever seen anything like that be done? 
Yes, actually, when I started making the decision to have a game-free home and a smartphone-free home, and by the way, we also have a porn-free home, um, (laughs) when I made that decision, when my younger boys were in third grade, we did start a book club. And so that group of moms, we all got together. There were about eight of us, and our boys all play together all through middle school. And today at Screen Strong, we help Hmm. families start these groups, these Screen Strong groups in their church churches, in their schools, in their neighborhoods. And we give them the tools to do this. You are absolutely right. You're absolutely 100% right. If you cannot get your own little community around it, it's going to be really hard. I'm not saying that you can't do it, but it's so much easier when you get your little group of friends and your like-minded friends together and you support each other. And at Screen Strong, we try to give you the words. What I have discovered, if parents, moms especially, when they're out and about talking to their friends and you know feeling that pain that, oh no, I'm... I'm doing something wrong by not giving my child a smartphone. It's because they don't have the language. They don't understand how to explain it. Um, I mean, that, that's, that's what my mission is in life is to break this down so simple. So you can do this little course. You can say, oh, now I know how to explain this to my friends. And just for example, little things like when we have new neighbors move in. Could my 10 year olds go play with them? Well, I would have to go over and say, you know, Andrew and Evan are allergic to video games and we would laugh and I would say, you know, they're allergic to porn too. So would it be okay if they could just play outside? You know, I I really don't want them playing video (laughs) games. And um, that has worked so well for so many parents because you you just got to have some words. You got to know how to be different. The other thing that I think really trips up parents, this is a huge, huge like myth is they think they can balance all of this and, and just, Hey, let's just do this in moderation. And Melanie, isn't it really okay? I mean, moderation in all things, right? Well, the words around that go like this. No, we don't moderate things that are bad for our kids. We balance things that are good for our kids, but we don't moderate everything in our life. As Mm -hmm. parents, you have values. You have like an A list and a B list. You have your negotiables and your non-negotiables. So in our family, video games and social media and all the stuff that goes with that, that's non-negotiable. So we let them, of course, get their haircuts and pick out their clothes and do all the things that teenagers want to do. But there's just certain things that are not negotiable. That really helps parents understand, oh yeah, that's right. I don't really think that um, smoking and drinking and shoplifting are negotiable at my house. And I'm not going to allow that, you know, well, if you don't think viewing porn and playing video games, uh, you know, for 10 hours a day, or even scrolling social media and posting, you know, naked pictures of yourself is negotiable, then put that on the non-negotiable list and say no, but we've got to have a community around it. We do so much better changing when there's community. In fact, I I think it's very difficult Mm -hmm. to change and to do this detoxing kind of thing without a community. It's very, very hard. So we have to be there to support each other. I agree with you. So, you know, I know we only have a couple minutes left, but I'm so grateful that you, um, first of all, educated us on how bad social media and video games can be and and really showed what it can do to to kids. But, you know, if you have a single mom out there, a single dad out there, and they're feeling sort of insecure already, and they don't want to make that move of them not fitting in with other parents and their kid. So you talked about getting your language right, correct? Mm -hmm. You talked about not balancing Um, not pretending, playing this game that I can balance X amount of social media or X amount of video games with 
time. You just have to be done with it. Um, And then to be, you know, really pretty strict about that. Um, What are a couple other really practical things that you could give parents to hang on to as we wind down here? Well, some practical things would be that you can get a talk text only phone that's very practical and go to our website. We recommend a couple over there that work really well. They don't have internet on the phone. There's no reason why a child, even a teenager needs the internet on his phone. Even if they're driving, they don't need GPS. They need to learn how to read a map. Right. So a lot of parents don't agree. Okay. Well, I, (laughs) a map. Yes. A lot of parents, um, agree that, okay, well, I don't think my kid, it's okay for them, you know, not to have it through seventh, you know, grade or something, but by the time they're 13, they should get it. I want every parent out there to understand that 13 is not the magic age for maturity. It is far from maturity. You're still 10 years away from your frontal cortex being developed, that frontal, the uh, judgment area of your brain. They need to understand how screen habits are built And I would encourage you um, as a mom and dad to make a note of when does your child, you know, want to play? Where are the triggers? And this is in our course too. And we teach parents how to look for those triggers and how to interrupt those triggers. And you cannot break a habit. As you know, habits aren't broken, but we can get new habits. And this is the problem because our brain keeps every habit that we've ever done and it can't be broken, especially when you are very young, those young habits are just ingrained, you know, uh, video games and social media are very addictive activities. We know that kids who engage in addictive activities early when that dopamine reward pathway is paved over and over and over, they're going to be more prone to addiction later. So you really got to understand, do you want to build that habit in your child? We are not anti-technology. We think screens, we think all this stuff is great, but it's the, it's too much at the wrong time. So as a parent, if you can, can understand that piece that it's delay, it's pause, it's not, Ooh, this is evil and let's get rid of it forever. That's not what it is. It's let's structure their their time. This is another super practical tip. Get your child an alarm clock. They, they do not need a phone in their bedroom. They don't need a phone, you know, for their alarm clock. Alarm clock. Um, <laughs> That's the most common reason, you know, I hear parents and kids say the reason they need a phone in their room is for um, an alarm clock. The second is they want background white noise. No. I said, get them one of those kids monitors where you can choose a train or the ocean or rain or whatever you want and an alarm clock because you're absolutely right. Well, Melanie, this has been wonderful talking to you. You're so inspiring. You're so encouraging because I'm convinced that over 90% of the people listening to us out there want to do what you're telling them to do, but they are afraid to. They're afraid they're going to drive their kid away. And what you're saying is that's just the opposite. And so I would encourage every parent listening to go to Screen Strong. How can people find out more about what you do, sign up for your courses, read what you've written? Um, Where can parents go? Yeah, they can go to ScreenStrong.com. It's pretty easy to get there. And you can um, email us at team at ScreenStrong.com. And I just want to reiterate that this is the easiest lifestyle that you can imagine. I have been through so much pain. I have made so many mistakes, way more than anyone listening here today, I'm quite sure, with the screen issue. But 
this is one thing we have figured out. We have gotten our kids back. We have, of course, now our two teenagers are going through this again, and they are thriving. They are doing really, really well. We structure great things in their life. We have so much more fun with our kids. So if you're finding yourself that you're just in this stress ball and you're anxious and these screens are causing all these problems, hit that pause button, come over to Screen Strong. We're going to show you how to do it even more than we've talked about today. I've got all kinds of tips that will help you that will just change your life. We have to start standing up for our kids. They need us to be the strong leader and the coach in their life. And we have to be okay with standing out from the crowd. It is perfectly okay to do that. Only good things happen when you do that. Yeah. Well, and I'm so grateful for you, Melanie, that you're doing this work because so many counselors and psychologists and physicians will say, oh, that's just terrible. Kids can't do it. But nobody gives a solution. And I'm so grateful because you give a solution that works. And we have a bold solution. And you are exactly right. When I was going through this, a lot of people were talking about the problem and I couldn't find the solution anywhere. We found the solution. It is bold. It is simple. It works a hundred percent. I mean, I know you can't say that about many mm -hmm. things, but your kids can't, you know, if they don't have a device, then they're probably not going to send a sext, right? It's just, it works. When you don't have video games <laughs> in your house, right. you do yeah. other things. It's just, it works. And it's like very many things in our life with our kids, the best solutions are the most simple. They are hard at first, mm -hmm. but they are easy. It, it, it's the easiest lifestyle that people say, oh, your kid's yelling at you all the time. I'm like, no, we're actually having so much fun. You have no idea how much more fun you're going to have when you are screen strong. Right. Well, we, we've really just scratched the surface here today and I'm thrilled that you were my guest and you're so wise and this time feels like it's been five minutes long. Um, oh, so thank you so much for coming and, and joining us, Melanie. You are welcome. I just love this topic and I want to save as many kids as I can. Well, parents, I hope you've enjoyed my interview with Melanie Hempy. You have to check out Screen Strong. Just put it in your internet browser or go to screenstrong.com. So let's get to my points to ponder. One, don't be naive. Every parent wants to believe that their child is smart or savvy enough to avoid problems on the internet. Don't be foolish. Often it's the good kids who get into trouble on the internet because they don't want to say no to their friends on social media and they don't want to tell their folks if something bad has happened because they don't want to let them down. Here's the issue. Your kid isn't at fault. The internet is the offender. Social media is the offender. Think about it. Every time your child is on the internet, the world sees him or her Child offenders see them. Creeps do marketing folks, just to name a few. Two, stop being afraid that you can't do anything about this. I rarely meet a parent who says that they don't mind their child being on social media or having 24-7 access to the internet. For every 50 parents who say they want to control their kids' phone use, in my experience, less than 5% are willing to do anything about it. Why? Well, I think there are two reasons. They either feel they won't be effective 
or because other parents are doing it. Friends, be bold enough to be different because your child's emotional and even physical health depends on you being bold. They can't do it. They rely on you to do it. You absolutely can get screen use under control in your home. Three, bite the bullet. Make a commitment today that you're going to get screen time under control in your home and then make a plan on how you can decrease the amount of time your kids are on screens. Then you need to make a serious plan for how you will decrease your screen time. It really isn't fair to ask our kids to do something that we're not willing to do ourselves. I want to thank my guest, Melanie Hempy. You can find out more about the organization Screen Strong by going to ScreenStrong.com. That's ScreenStrong.com. Now let's recap my three points to ponder. One, don't be naive. Two, stop being afraid that you can't do anything about this. And three, bite the bullet. Remember, go to MeekerParenting.com and check out my brand new course, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters Masterclass. It launches in June, but pre-sales are available now. And if you want to get it cheaper, get it now. I really believe that the masterclass is going to be a game changer for every father you know. doesn't matter where he is, how old he is, what he does. The class gives every dad specific steps on how to have a better relationship with his daughter. So until next time, parents, always remember that great kids are raised, not born. <laughs>